Praise the Lord, everybody. Good to be here on a Sunday morning. If you have your Bibles, we are going to open to Genesis chapter 1. Verse 1 and 2 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. Let's pray for this service. God, you are good, and you are holy, and you are mighty. For a few minutes, we just want to get tapped into your spirit. We want to just take those walls down, and whatever you have in store for us, just let your will be done. Nothing more and nothing less. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In the beginning, God. The very first thing that we read when we open our Bibles is the story on how everything was started. We find out very quickly that the God that we serve is the ultimate master of new beginnings. And if I had to put a title on my message, it would be a God of new beginnings. That he can take something that has no life, no form, something that is full of darkness and void, and through his power, he can make it something truly amazing. You don't have to look too far of where we live in all this beauty upon the earth and know that it, it wasn't just there. God has had his hand over every single thing that we see. I want to refer to two stories. They are very abbreviated versions about new beginnings. One being the story of Moses. When you look at the story of Moses, he went from a prince to a fugitive to a shepherd to a leader in one lifetime. Amen. So Moses, as a grown man, being the prince in Egypt, he's fleeing Egypt for his life because he had just killed an Egyptian that was beating a fellow Israelite. So Moses flees, and he makes his way to the desert, and he, he's trying to start over. He's trying to start this simple life. And he's spoken to by God. He's witnessed to by God, and he's told, you know, you're going to go back to Egypt. You're going to free all the people from Pharaoh. These, these plagues are going to come upon Egypt, and you're going to, you know, soon you're going to get the power and you're going to be able to spread the Red Sea. And all these things are going to come to pass. You're going to bring an entire nation out of Egypt. You're going to lead them. You're going to have part in the Ten Commandments. All these things are going to happen. From a prince to a fugitive to a shepherd to a leader in one lifetime. Talking about a God of new beginnings. The story of Esther she was an orphan, no parents. She went from an orphan to a queen in one lifetime. Her story is all about God's divine timing and intervention. She must have lived a very humble life growing up. And later down the road, she finds herself in, in the king's palace uh, brought by the help of her cousin Mordecai. And she ends up finding favor in the eyes of the king in Esther 2 and 9, and would move on to become queen. 
from orphan to queen in one lifetime. God's will and timing controlled her life from the beginning to the end. That is a God of new beginnings. There's many stories like that you can read of David going from a shepherd boy to killing Goliath to, you know, becoming king. The stories go on and on about God starting new beginnings. But what about us? What about our friends and our families? What about trials that we're facing? Can God help me start over? We know he can, amen. Can you put up 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, please? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new, amen. We serve the way maker, the God of new beginnings, hallelujah. When we need God now, he is there. When we feel forsaken, lost, hopeless, we can always, always call on the name of Jesus. Amen. Brother Walter referred to it a couple services ago that we are, we're like that clay on the potter's wheel and God's just forming. He's molding. He's changing into something beautiful and strong. Amen. If you want a new life, it starts with God every time. Freedom over addictions, depression, lust, greed. It all starts with God. Amen. Song that we've, we've, we've sung many times here says, when I think about the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah. Thank God for saving me. Amen. John 16 and 33 says, God will give us peace. That this world is going to throw trials our way, but it says be of good cheer because God has overcome this world. Amen. Philippians 4 and 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says God will give us the victory. Amen. Hallelujah. We serve a God of victory, a God of mercy, peace, and joy, and he wants to put you on that wheel, and he wants to bring forth that true potential. Amen. We serve a God of another, of another chance, of new beginnings. So what do you need from the Lord today? Do you need a new outlook on life? Do you need salvation in your life? Do you need to get rid of some old habits? Do you want to become more committed? Do you want to become a better witness, a better father, a better husband, a wife? Do you want to become a better saint and help to your pastor? What new beginnings are you seeking? No matter what it is, I promise you, God is able. Amen. And new beginnings come to those that step out in faith. Hallelujah. To change anything in your life with God's help and the power of God, you have to be willing to step out in faith. Amen. The latter half of Matthew 9 and 29 says, according to your faith, be it unto you. God can change anyone if you will let him. Whether you have lived for God your whole life and you're just at a spiritual low, or are you seeking God for the first time? He can make a new beginning for you. Amen. Hallelujah. If you can mix faith with power and repentance and lay it down at this altar, change will happen. Amen. That darkness will turn to light. That void 
will be filled, amen, and our true potential will come forth. And it can all happen today, amen. New beginnings happen at an altar. Chains are loosed at an altar. Burdens are lifted at an altar. Pride turns to humility at an altar, amen. There's no mistake that we talk about the power of the altar so much across this pulpit because when you've come to it and you've been lifted and you've been freed time and time again and see burdens lifted off your brother time and time again, that's something that you want to talk about, amen? Hallelujah. You find mercy at the altar. Psalms 118 and 1 says, His mercy endureth forever. We serve a God that never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. If you have never experienced the true presence of God, it can happen for you today. Hallelujah. If you have been saved and you were at a low, if you're feeling lukewarm, you don't feel that connection that you once felt, I promise you can get that back today. Amen. Hallelujah. Talking about a God of new beginnings. When you repent and truly mean it, God will bless you. He will bring back your joy. When you are filled with the Holy Ghost for the first time or refilled after much time has passed, after that spiritual drought, new beginnings will take place. When you go down in that water and are baptized In Jesus' name, you come up a new person, amen, when your sins are washed away. I promise you will not feel the same, amen. Those joy is going to consume you. Those burdens that you felt before you went down, they're not going to feel heavy anymore, amen. Hallelujah. And saints that feel distant, whatever wall is up, Whatever thing that is in your life that is keeping you from God's will. Think back to that first time. That first time that God moved in you. Think back to when you felt that power like you have never felt before. Amen. Go back to that first time that you said, God, I'm at this altar. I am laying it all down for you right now. Take me back. Remind me of that time that you restored my marriage, that you brought my mom out of the hospital, that you protected my children in a car accident. Remind me of those times. So when I'm feeling lost, when I feel like I have strayed, you will pull me back. I'm talking about a God of new beginnings, amen. A time where we had unexpected medical emergencies in our life and he wiped away $35,000 worth of debt all because we prayed about it. Hallelujah. The Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. Why don't we step back and encourage ourselves with all those times that he has brought us out of the pits of hell. Amen. Hallelujah. God is here. His spirit is ready to move. All we have to do 
is step through that opening and say, God, please start a new beginning in me. Praise the Lord. That is so powerful. If I could just kind of not transition from, but add to, continue on the the thought of those new beginnings. If I could say one thing that at first sounds negative, and then you realize it's encouragement. I am so thankful for your new beginning, but welcome to the battlefield. I want to open with Ephesians 6.12. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Whether you like it or not, you are in a spiritual battle. If you choose not to engage, you have already lost. But let's say that you've decided to stand and fight. Just a warning, the battle will grow long and weary. And when people start to get wore down, they tend to respond in one of three ways. And this is just human nature. Not poking fun at anybody. We've all been there. They give in to self-pity and negativity. Well, nothing works out my way anyway. How could God fix this situation? Number two, they tell themselves, suck it up and get over it. Which, by the way, is not biblical. It's not supported anywhere in Bible to just accept what the enemy has thrown your direction. It's nowhere found in the Bible that we're just supposed to lay down and accept what the image that has been painted and just say whatever happens, happens. If this is happening, it must be God's will. God's will. Let me tell you, the enemy's attacks are not God's will. He aims to equip us to come against those attacks. That doubt that comes in your mind when you've been born again, that what was that? That that couldn't have been couldn't have been real. My mouth was saying words I couldn't understand, but we need to realize that God has equipped us. We need to remind ourselves that that was indeed real, and that is in fact power that is meant to push back the enemy. Amen. We do not have to lie down and accept what has been thrown at us. Or number three, they get out their spiritual weapons and they go to war. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for laying down and just letting it happen. Oh, no. There are some things that need to be pulled down, and we call them strongholds. And they only look strong from our perspective from the bottom. But God is meaning to raise us up out of those lows, out of those depths, and saying, you can pull down those strongholds if you just take hold of my weapons. Because the church is not an audience to be entertained, but an army to be empowered. We're going to go over some of our spiritual weapons, amen? The first one I want to talk about is found in Ephesians 6, 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word 
of God. The first real weapon, I realize all those things. I know the shield can be used as a weapon. So if someone corners me afterwards and, you know, I realize that. The shield is for once they get close, though. That is a defense until they get close. And you could, you could chop heads off with some of those shields, brother. I know you've taught a lesson that was awesome. You talked about how some of those soldiers would use shields as, a, as an offense. I don't know if you remember that, but it spoke to me. I love my brother. He's been a part of my life since the very beginning, and many of the things he said have spoken to, into my life. But the first real offensive weapon meant to go after the enemy that is listed is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When Satan came to Jesus, what is it that he continually said? With every temptation and every attack, it, it is written. The devil is not to be reasoned with. He is not to be debated. He will not go away with an explanation. He will only go away with the strong. It is written. And the next point I want to go to, the next weapon is in Ephesians 6.18. It says, pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance at supplication for all saints. The second weapon we have in our arsenal is prayer. You see, many read verse 17 and they stop at the sword, not realizing that it does not end with a period. I, I, I'm not an English major, so I, I hope not to butcher this, but what is at the end of verse 17 is what's called a colon. What follows a colon is an explanation of what proceeds. I have this sword in my hand, but, but how do I swing this thing? You want to know how to swing that sword? You read your word and then you pray about it. That prayer is how I use that weapon to attack the enemy. I need that prayer to show me how to fight and how to attack. You see, it'd be very dangerous, Brother Shannon, if we took an army recruit, zero training, put a rifle in their hands, and sent them out in the battlefield. That, that wasn't a good game, Pat. That was a, there you, there you go. You see, the odds of either shooting yourself or what we call friendly fire go up astronomically if you've never handled that weapon and you don't know how to handle it, nor have you been trained in any way, shape, or form. Not only do we have that sword, but we have instruction on how to wield it, and that comes through prayer. And I, and I like how it separates prayer and supplication here. Supplication, if you don't know, that's a type of prayer where you're asking for things. And that has its place. But there's also a type of prayer where I'm not asking for anything. I'm coming against that enemy right now. You see, some things need to be tore down, some things need to be bound, and some things need to be loosed. I pray peace over this entire congregation. I pray blessing over this entire congregation. And I bind, in Jesus' name, anything that stands against us. Oh, in Jesus' name. And I don't have to ask permission for any of that. That authority has been given to each and every one of us. 
Mm. And the last weapon I want to talk about, Revelation 12, 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. You see, they didn't overcome him by the thought of their testimony. The third weapon is our testimony. Now, don't make me sing this little light of mine. Because the congregation, have you ever heard about church splits, brother? But it says we're not going to hide it. I'm not going to let anyone blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. So it's important not to hide what God has done, and it's also important not to let it fade. Now, I've heard this um, when talking about the Holy Ghost, the, the analogy that it's easier to, although it might be hard, to convince someone that Hawaii doesn't exist to someone who has never been there. Now, you see, with your testimony... The devil might come to you and say, God can't answer prayer. God's not real. That church is just a joke. What's the whole purpose of coming here? But if we can look back and grab a hold of those blessings that God daily adds to us and say, Satan, no, no, God has done too much for me to think that he is not real, that he won't be there the next time. You see, Satan might try to throw things from your past in your face and say, look what you've been a part of. If you're a part of that, how can you say that your God and his ways are so powerful, so much higher, and so much better? Well, I invite you to use those very things as a testimony to say, look what God has brought me from. Look what God is greater than, and he has so much more in store for me because he is bigger than my mistakes. Amen. Your testimony is not only a proclamation of what he has done, but it is encouragement to stay grafted to God and to keep our faith in what he has in store for us. And I just want to close with a couple, you know what, with a few verses. This is what, these are the promises for us, if we choose to wield these weapons, if we choose not to lay down and let Satan steamroll over us. I, I do have notes, I promise. I just need to use them, I guess. I'm going to start in James 4, 7. It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will do what? He will flee from you. Luke 10, 19 says, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Romans 8, 37 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through... More through conquerors. I'm not just going to win. We are not just going to win. We are going to slaughter the enemy if we choose to pick up these weapons. Amen? More than conquerors through him that loved us. And Deuteronomy 28.7. This is what I want to close with. This is so awesome. 
says, the Lord shall cause thine enemies to rise up against thee, to be smitten before thy face. I, I know that we're taught and we teach our kids, you know, don't be happy when someone else gets in trouble, when, you know, they're giving you a hard time. Don't try, try not to dance for joy. But we're not talking about a, a, a backyard bully. We're not talking about a schoolyard bully here. We're talking about the enemy to our souls. And I can laugh at the devil. I can hate the devil. Amen. Do you hate the devil this morning? The Lord says, I'm going to smite him, but not only am I going to smite him, I'm going to do it in front of your face so you have the satisfaction of seeing the low worm that he really is. Amen. This last part here. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. Now, I just want to paint that picture as I end here. You know, when you get, you ever heard about people, I've never had this happen to me, so I'm not talking big, but you hear about people jumping someone at school, you know. Their buddies all come in. They're all a group at that point. They're all unified. Satan's thoughts are unified. His, his plans, they make so much sense, and they look like they're, they're bound for success. And they may come in that way. But you see, when bullies, when they get stood up to, and all those friends, what do they do? They don't leave the same way they came. They scatter. Come on. It says, they shall come out against thee one way, but they shall flee before thee seven ways. They will be leaving in every direction because the enemy has no business coming against you in that way. In Jesus' name. Let's choose to wield those spiritual weapons this morning. Amen. Praise the Lord. What Psalms 91.7 say, Sister Claire? Thousands going to fall by your side. Ten thousand by your right hand. That's not because you can bench press 185 or 385 or whatever it is you can bench press. It's because you got somebody in your corner. Amen. Awesome preaching. New beginnings. Very few people, Brother Robbie, would choose to live for God if they knew they were going to have to fight a fight. I remember Brother Stacy when I first was taking Bible study from Brother K.P. Holt. And at one point somewhere, and it had been many weeks but I remember him talking about that living for God is going to take the people that got some, a little bit of grit. Not talent, but grit, Brother Carlos. People that can make up their mind. Because when you choose to live for God, you're no longer. Brother Tostin, you're no longer on the devil's payroll. You're no longer feeding his coffers. You're no longer part of that, uh, that uh, pitching in money towards the works of evil and bad. Decided to live for God. He says, hey, I, 
think we need to distract him and get him preoccupied. Let him think that it really isn't a big fight and that if he just give up, it'll all stop. Well, I want you to know we're in this together. If I don't feel like it, well, I hope that I can convince you in a few minutes that we're in this together. It's you and me. Look over at your neighbor. We're in this together. Praise God. See, when you got that first time baptism of the Holy Ghost, you weren't the only one celebrating. <laughs> you come to the altar and you've been burdened down by the cares and the worries and the problems of everyday life. You come up here and you just begin to cry. I saw some of that today already. You just begin to say, God, I just can't take any more. And people are celebrating with you and people are feeling what you're going through. Because we're in this together. Sometimes we want God to fix everything the way that it is. And what God needs to do is He needs to break us first. So then He can put us back together the right way. We want God to put it all back and make it right. Without fixing what's wrong first. We come to God and at the altar and we feel the presence of God. He's trying to get things so that He can put them back together right. That's what I want. I don't, I don't want the old ways. It didn't work for me. So why would I go back to that? That's why that new beginning is so important. Said to Acts 3.19. Throw that up if you would, Sister Play. I didn't give that to you. Acts 3.19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of new beginnings come from the presence of the Lord. It doesn't come when you change where you live. That's not a new beginning. That's just a new house or an old house with some new paint on it. You take the same problems that we're dealing with here today and think that the answer is, Brother Carl, if I just change my job, that'll fix it all. Sometimes you need to change your job. If it interferes with you living for God, if it interferes with your family life, if it interferes with your purity to God and your holiness to God, then you need to get rid of that thing. But changing your job just because you're looking for a new view, changing where you go to church or where you live, or that was my five cents of free advice. You deal with the same problem but just be in a different place. And it'll be that much harder because you put it off. Love you. Psalm 133. I'm reading, I'll read quickly, and I will be very conscientious of time. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together 
in unity. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments as the dew of Hermon, as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessings, even life forevermore. It's talking about that dew upon Aaron. The Amplified says that coming down upon the edge of his priestly garments, consecrating the whole body. Unity is important. As we begin to endeavor our new or take on our new life, we recognize that, as I've already stated, Brother Richard, we're not alone. Amen. When I first came into church, it no longer depended upon whether or not I had money to buy the next round. When I came to church, I met people that didn't care whether or not I had drugs in my pocket or I was buying. didn't matter. I came to church, and people started getting me involved with things. They, they had picnics, and they did volleyball and, and played wiffle ball and world championship wiffle ball, I might add. World championship wiffle ball and we sat around and we ate brother Ken and we just fellowshiped and felt good things and all of a sudden I realized that these were people that were not perfect they were human they dealt with issues and problems and and every once in a while they even got up on the wrong side of the bed hallelujah not you I was just talking about that old church I went to Unity is of the utmost importance, and unity is much more than just the fact that you or I, Brother Ken, got the same favorite sports team. It's not. Not whether or not we have something in common like sports or maybe food. How many's favorite food is Mexican or Spanish food? Come on. Well, then you guys all must be in unity. No, there's something much more than just whether or not we like fried rice or whatever it may be. It's much more than that. The unity the Bible talks about, Brother Tim, is a unity that runs deep. It's a unity that's based upon some foundational issues, things that matter. Acts 2, 1 said they were all with one accord. They were all with one accord in one place. They had a shared common passion. And two and four said, and they were all filled. Why? Because they were all in one accord. Shared passion. It's powerful when we're all on the same page. It's powerful when we're all going the same direction. Doesn't it not seem odd? I go to the schools on a regular basis. As you know, I work at the school district. Pray for me. But you should try walking in the wrong side of the aisle when first period gets out. You could get hurt at a junior high school. Number one, none of them have any amount of sense that's common. And so therefore you put that and then you in the wrong lane, you're in big trouble. But you got to get going in the right direction. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, 
that now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. You got to have common doctrine. Can I get an amen from somebody today? You got to all speak as one. They continued in the doctrine, Acts 2, verse 42. They all had to be together. They had to believe the same thing. You realize, right, that not everybody's going to heaven. You just can't believe any old way and expect to make heaven your home. That may be contrary to what you think today. But I want you to know it matters what you believe. It matters what, what you aspire to, what you hold on to, what you allow to be that guideline for you. We talked the other day about John 3. said you must be born again. That new birth, that new creature, that new beginning. And it's got to be water and it's got to be spirit. Read your Bible, John 3, verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Got to be repentance. Got to be baptism. And does any name matter? It's the name of Jesus. 412 of Acts says that neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Doctrine matters when it comes to unity. What you believe and what I believe. If they're together, there's power in that. They're all together. There's no division. There's no splits, no gaps, no barriers, no rifts, no big eyes, no little U's. They're all joined together, the Scripture says. We were individuals. You were an individual. But when you became part of the body of Christ... You're not just a sinner on the, on the first line on the football field, Brother Colin, at Palmer High School. But when you get born again of the water and spirit, you become part of the body. And the body is a powerful, powerful entity. Individuals. Now we're part of the body. Each individually important, but more important that we work together as a body, as one unit. Amen. Another thing that we have in unity is we have common thoughts, common mindset. Philippians 2.5 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Romans 15.5 says, we need to be like-minded one toward another. Everybody matters. Philippians 2, verse 2 says, Fulfill ye my joy. This is the Lord speaking. Paul's writing. That ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Like-minded. Our thoughts matter. What we're trying to accomplish. The fact that we know together as a body. I got your back. 
I got your back. You're not fighting alone. You're not just one single mercenary in this battle. Much harder to defend and much harder, harder to fight against an enemy when you're all alone. But when we got each other's backs, it's better. Much, much better. Common doctrine, common thoughts or mindset, and a common goal. Actually, back on common thoughts, common mind. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says again, he says, that we be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. 2 Corinthians 13.11, he says, brethren, I want you to be of one mind. See the importance of that. Common goal, third thing. Acts 2, verse 44, and all that believed were together and had all things common. Their doctrine, 1 Timothy 1, 3, that there's no other doctrine. Their fellowship, because you matter. I said the other day, and I, I, I meant that with everything in my heart, not to be mean, not to be judgmental, but we need each other. And when you choose not to partake in fellowship, I suffer. I suffer because I need your fellowship. I need you as part of this team, part of this, this, this well-rounded group of individuals. We are able to do so much more when we're all working together. We all have this common common goal. In that fellowship, Acts chapter 2, verse 46, it said that they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They spent time together. The third thing on a common goal is that they recognized, Sister Jessica, that the needs of others were more important than their very own needs. They became more important. Acts 4.32 said that they were one heart and one soul, and they brought all that they had, and they had all things common down there at the very end. They took care of each other. It took all hands on deck, church. I've heard it said, we need more unity. Let's pray for unity. Sure. Let's just do it, though. Just do it. A consecrated effort, effort, teamwork. It naturally brought about a closeness, closeness like nothing else did. Unity brings closeness. Unity brings camaraderie it brings it it brings things that nothing else can there's something about a team when a team works well together and they get behind a coach and the coach says this is what i want and they all buy into it win lose or draw but when we're a team you know what they were a team when they built tower of babel they had unity back there. If you look in the book of Genesis, read that, how it all worked out. They built it. They had one language. They had one plan. 
and they built a tower. God said, ah, you got it all wrong here. We got the right purpose, right, church? They worshiped together, and it brought down the power of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2. They prayed together, and Peter got delivered from a, a, a certain death from Herod's hands. And example after example after example. They studied together. They, they, they broke bread. They outreached together. Their selflessness, selflessness brought addition to the body of Christ. Their selflessness brought blessings to the community. You hear what I said? Because they weren't selfish. God blessed them. 133.3 of Psalms, and I'm closing, said the Lord commanded the blessings, even life forevermore. He commanded the blessings. Why? Because of unity. We're in this together. We're in this together. You're not alone, brother. You're not alone, sister. Hey, I know, I feel it. Well, you don't know my situation. doesn't seem like nobody knows who I even am. If you've been around here more than a few weeks, a month, then you know we have regular potluck. You know we have different things going on, ladies' Bible studies and youth and outreach and multitudes of things nearly every single night. And you say, well, I just feel alone. I challenge you, get involved. I challenge you. Sometimes we suck our thumb and say, nobody knows about me because that's exactly what we want. We don't want accountability. We don't want anyone to lean on us. We don't want anyone to count on us to do anything or go anywhere or be part of anything. We want to be part of this new beginning Brother Dave preached about. We want to fight this battle together. Brother Robbie talked about the warfare. Let's fight it together. Let's not leave anybody behind. Let's grab arm in arm. Amos, what's Amos 3 and 3 say, Sister Plail? Stand if you would, please. Thank you. Your patience. Can two walk together except they be agreed? We're in this together. Anybody want someone to help fight your battle with you? I do. I like a lot of people to help me fight my battle. When I get down in the mully grubs, Brother Carlos, and I just can't hardly see anything up but the ground and feeling like I just can't get anywhere, I'm not going nowhere, and, and I'm down. Brother Stacy comes along, and he grabs a hold of my arm. Grabs a hold of my hand, and he says, come on, let's do this together. Because there's power in that. God bless you today. We love you and appreciate you. We thank you for your faithfulness. You want to stay? You want to stay and pray, you're more than welcome to. If you've got...
plans and you need to go somewhere, we just pray God's blessing be with you on this beautiful Sunday. Amen. Pastor's Appreciation Month coming up. Be involved in it. Let's help bless our pastor and his wife, his family. They've been such a blessing to me, and I know they have been to you. Amen. You're not alone, brother. You're not alone, sister. Let's fight it together. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.